Welcome again, everybody, Bethel Christian Fellowship. We are so glad <clears throat> to have everybody gathered together, those of us who are here in person, those of us who are joining us online. I know multiple people had other plans, told me other plans they had uh, for Fourth of July weekend, so they said they were going to watch this later. So all of you who are watching this later, <clears throat> welcome. We're so glad you've joined us. Uh, our children are dismissed right now for our children's programming. Uh, We've got another month of uh, programming for the elementary school kids, and then we uh, come August, we're going to take a break. Uh, elementary school, uh, Big House, is going to take a break. Uh, <clears throat> so good to have everybody here. Andrew, Pastor Andrew Gross, um, uh, and I'm grateful to have the privilege of sharing the word with you. Uh, if you could just join me in, in uh, prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, I come to you with my stammering tongue. I come to you with uh, these words I think you gave me ahead of time to share, but I, it's a bunch of empty, hot air unless your spirit moves, unless you blow on these words, unless you move through me, unless you touch each of our hearts and open our hearts to hear what it is you want us to hear. So here is a very imperfect uh, offering of uh, this message. God, by your grace, would you use it for your glory? Amen. All right. Well, I'm wondering if uh, anybody ever feels like one of these things. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think they're called wind socket puppets or wind puppets or wind people or anyway I, I was trying to look it up images online and a bunch of funny names came up but uh you you know these things and and, and i one day just driving down by my home on west 7th i i thought i was going to get hit by one the wind like you know blew one over like went right over the car i was like you know uh <clears throat> so uh, a lot of us feel like this because uh more often we feel like this uh the deflated wind puppet socket thing and, uh, um, and, and uh, but as, as Christians, you know, we, we want to feel like this for God a lot. And, uh, you know, the, the, uh, this year, if you've noticed, there's a lot of common themes uh, that, uh, and, and they kind of come together. So this is our year of overflow. Um, we've been participating in lots of merge events. Those are uh, major outreaches to a lot of our, uh, to immigrant communities, um, Pastor Steve has been taking us through the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, we keep hearing in chapter after chapter about how God's people were used to reach out to unbelieving people and how whole cultures and societies and towns were transformed by the gospel. Uh, last week, Pastor Justin was pushing us to, you know, asking hard questions like, are, are we going to, are we going to welcome, are we going to love uh, Gen Z uh, and not maybe the way we think we're supposed to love people, but the way they need to be loved, the way that's going to really reach them. Uh, and so, uh, and, and then in just a month, we're going to be doing our, the Bethel's biggest outreach that every, every year, except for the last two years, we do this massive outreach. It's always our biggest outreach. It's an outreach to children. Uh, and, and God has used uh, this outreach to children uh, over the last many decades very powerfully to, to transform lives, even whole families. Uh, and, and it's our day camp. And uh, Miss Sylvia, you're going to be hearing more and more about it in the coming month, but Miss Sylvia's got these amazing plans that are all coming together. 
And uh, it's kind of a, that event is kind of an all hands on deck. We, you know, we want pretty, the whole church to kind of turn out and help out with one thing or another. Even if you can't be there the week of, you're helping to prepare for things. And uh, so, so there's all this outreach uh, that, that we're kind of being sort of, we're, we're all kind of feeling some good pressure on us, on our backs to, you know, get out and, and, and reach out like they did in the book of Acts, like Pastor Justin exhorted us to do last week, uh, like we're going to be doing in a month from now with, with, the, uh, with day camp. Uh, it all kind of comes together in this year of overflow. Uh, and, and, and to do that, to do that, we want to feel like this. We want to feel like these, sock, these wind puppets, you know, all invigorated and full of energy and full of inspiration, and, and, and we're, we're feeling the love that we're pouring out, right? That's, that's how we want to feel. But a lot of us uh, feel more like this most of the time in our, in our Christian walk, don't we? We feel deflated. We feel uninspired. We don't have the energy. Uh, uh, and, and, and even though uh, for many of us, we feel like we're in the, the clear with, uh, with the pandemic, it, it's sort of that lethargy uh, that kind of overtook a lot of us during that season is still on us in many ways, right? And we, we, don't, we don't feel equipped to reach out. We don't feel equipped to, you know, we, we hear about, okay, we, we got to, you know, love Gen Z. And some of us are like, <sighs> we just feel deflated. Or, oh, we, we're, we're going to reach out to our neighbors and feel deflated. Oh, we're going to reach out to our coworkers. Oh, we feel deflated. We, we, we're going to reach out to the kids. Uh, oh, we feel deflated. So we feel like this um, a lot. And, and to add to that sense of deflation, um, the church in North America, it's, it's no um, secret, the, the church in North America is shrinking. It's contracting. Um, and it's not just about the pandemic. The pandemic definitely did not help. Uh, uh, and and I've, I've not yet heard of a single church that is, is back to its sort of pre-pandemic uh, size and, and vigor. Um, uh, but, but there's an even broader trend that's happening. Uh, includes, uh, as we heard about last week, Gen Z is, is fleeing the church. Uh, which makes us ask, have to ask questions like, is there even going to be a church 20 years from now, in North America at least? We know other parts of the world where the, the, the church is booming, it's exploding, but is there going to be one in 20 years in North America, in 30 years? Uh, is there going to be a BCF in 20 years, 30 years? I, I don't know. That, that there, that it's, it's, a, it's a major crisis that we have to wrestle with, and when we hear about that, it tends to make us feel like this deflated uh, wind puppet. And we, we, we want to feel like this, so we have the energy to reach out and to love our neighbors and, and uh, uh, expose them to the light of the gospel. Uh, but more often, you know, we, we feel like this. Uh, <clears throat> now, why is that, you might ask? Well, there's tons of sociological reasons. There's tons of... Uh, anthropological reasons why this is happening in North America, why we're facing such an uphill battle. Um, I, I do want us to take a look at one possible reason this is happening in Scripture, um, uh, one possible way to interpret this. In the book of Amos, Amos was an Old Testament prophet, and in chapter 8, he has this, uh, chapter 8, verse 11, he has this very terrifying statement. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land. 
not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. When I read this passage, I tremble because it feels like, and again, this is just my poor humanity trying to interpret this, but it feels like when I look at the culture today, when I look at North America today, when I look at the church today, it feels like this is what's happening. It feels like that there is a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. But what terrifies me even more is, according to this scripture, this isn't a famine sent by the devil. This isn't a famine that we can rebuke with prayer. This isn't a famine that we can just uh, say the name of Jesus louder and expect it to evaporate before us. According to this scripture, this is a famine that has been sent by God. Why would God actually close his lips when his, his, his word offers the hope of our salvation? His word communicates the message of the gospel by which we're saved and reconciled. It's the word that transforms us and turns us around and turns our society around. Why, why would God close his mouth well, we don't have time to read the whole book here, but, but in, in the rest of the context of the book of Amos, we find out that God closes his own mouth because of the idolatry of the people. There, the idolatry reaches a point in a country where it, it gets so bad that God decides, these people aren't going to listen to me. And so he turns off the spigot of his grace, and it dries up. Because he knows the people are shutting their ears, and they're racing after their idols. And it doesn't matter how loudly he speaks, how colorfully he speaks, how vividly he speaks. And Jesus has that famous statement where he says uh, to some people, you know, we, we sent in uh, John the Baptist doing his funeral dirge for you to get your attention. And you didn't pay attention. And then, and then the Son of Man came in eating and drinking and, you know, partying and playing the flute. And that didn't get your attention. So the, the party didn't get your attention. The dirge didn't get your attention. And, 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 and he says that those, those people aren't going to hear the word of the Lord. Well, <clears throat> where do I find hope? I want to go back to what Pastor Steve has been uh, pushing us to do all year long as, as we've been investigating the book of Acts. The book of Acts starts out in chapter 1, verse 8, where God says, Wait in Jerusalem for what I promise you so that you will receive power to be his witnesses power to be his witnesses. Jesus knows that 
when we go out into the world, we are up against, that we, first off, internally we feel like this deflated windsocket. And he also knows the uphill battle that we're against. And he knows that people have turned off their ears and people are racing towards their idols. Jesus knows that, and so he knows we need power. We need power, supernatural power that breaks through hard hearts, breaks through deaf ears, breaks through blind eyes, breaks through uncomprehending brains, uh, cultures that exalt idols, cultures that actually intensify and magnify idols. Jesus knows we need supernatural power to counteract that. And he promises that power for those who wait for him. So that's how the book of Acts begins. I also think it's interesting how the book of Acts ends. And we haven't gotten there yet. It's probably going to be a while before Pastor Steve gets all the way to the end. We're just right in the middle right now. Uh, the last two verses in the entire book of Acts read like this. It's talking about Paul, the apostle, and it says that he stayed two full years uh, in his own rented quarters. And he's a prisoner, by the way. He's in chains. Uh, and in, in those days, the sort of the, uh, you might call it the, the uh, low security prisoners, uh, you know, got to rent their own, they, they had to be in chains, but they had to rent their own apartment and they were under guard, but they had a little bit of freedom of movement. But uh, it says he had to, he rented his own quarters and he was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. The final word in the book of Acts, in, and, and this is in the original Greek, the book of Acts is unhindered. The, the gospel, the message, the truth, the, the, the teaching concerning our Lord Jesus Christ was unhindered. There was no hindrance. He was in chains. He was in prison. He was under guard. But the word was unhindered. And right now, whether it's the external things that are happening in our culture and the rejection that we're feeling about Christianity because we're Christians, whether it's the internal deflation that many of us feel, the, the, the lethargy we feel, and we, we feel like this deflated sock puppet, uh, wind puppet, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> whatever that is, the word of God is still unhindered. And so we actually get to, because we have received power to be as witnesses, and because of the nature of the word of God and the nature of God's sovereign authority over all things, the word of God is still unhindered. So are we facing a famine for hearing the word of the Lord? We definitely are, I think. That's how I'm interpreting what's going on. We are facing a famine for hearing the word of the Lord. And at the same time, the Lord has given us power and his word is unhindered. <clears throat> so, how do we walk in that kind of power? How do we walk in such a way and live in such a way and speak in such a way that we see the word of God going forth unhindered? unchained, open, with openness and boldness. How can we, even though we feel like Paul, under guard, chained, locked away, 
and at the same time, we can confidently report that the word of God is going forward unhindered. How, how, how do we do that? That seems like a complete contradiction, and it, it feels like we're caught between these two realities. Well, I would suggest to you that there is a very simple, simple solution from Scripture. If you would uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, book of Hebrews chapter 4. And the author of Hebrews writes this. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest unable, who is incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace wherever or whenever we need help. I would suggest to you that the, the, the solution Scripture offers to this sense of being both imprisoned but also knowing we've been empowered to be witnesses the solution is the throne of grace. The throne of grace. Uh, see, uh, Billy Graham, many of us remember him, or at least you've heard about him. Uh, greatest evangelist, not just in the 20th century, but if you're just looking at numbers, he's probably spoken to more people and more people accepted the gospel through his ministry than, than uh, at, at any, any other time in history. Uh, Billy Graham had this very simple phrase. When people asked him, what's, what's the secret to the success? What is the, how, how, do you, how do you keep going from city to city and keep having these big crusades and thousands of people coming to Christ? How, how, how do you do it? And, and Billy Graham would respond, it's, it's really simple. He says, I just go back and forth between the people and the throne of grace. That, that, that's all I do. I, I don't, he said, I, I, don't, I don't have another method, another secret. Um, when I was doing, back in 1996, when we had a, a, a big uh, crusade here in the cities, uh, we went to training, and, and, uh, and I, that's one of the things that stuck out of the training is, is they just kept talking about going back and forth to the throne of grace, just, just praying, pray about it. <laughs> Sounds really simple, but Billy Graham's idea, he, he would say, you know, uh, what we do is we just, first we go to the throne of grace, and we, there before the throne, we collect all of the power, all of the strength, all of the inspiration that we need, and then we go back out into the streets or to the people or our families or whoever it is we're ministering to, and we just give away whatever God gave us. And, and then, of course, that depletes us. We, we, feel, we feel like this. So then we go back to the throne of grace, and we get more grace get more filled up with power and strength and energy and inspiration, and then we go back out and we just give it away. And then, of course, that makes us feel like this. So we go back to the throne of grace, and we just get more strength and more power. You guys, you guys get what I'm saying. And you go back and forth. And Billy Graham said it's that simple. You just go back and forth to the throne of grace. Let's just meditate for a minute on that word throne. Would that be okay, you guys? get really geeky with you for a minute and meditate on a single word here. 
That is a word that in America we have a really hard time wrapping our minds around because we don't have a human throne. Our president is not a king or a queen. Our, our president's elected by us. But for, if you come from a country uh, where there is such a thing as a throne, you might get a little inkling of what this means. But even, even people who come from such countries usually don't really understand what this means because when the scripture talks about the throne, the scripture is talking about the sovereignty of God. That means that there is a God who is 100% in charge of all things. He is 100% in control. That means he has complete authority to accomplish whatever his heart desires. There's no heavenly bureaucracy between him and the creation. A bureaucracy of, of angels and demons that are, you know, uh, in, 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 a, in, a, in a human throne, they might have a bureaucracy underneath them that carries out their orders, and, and, and by the time the command filters down through the bureaucracy, it's kind of been watered down and diluted. That's not how God's throne works. When God issues forth a command, it goes straight into creation, and that's exactly what he wants to have happen, is what happens. No intermediaries, there's no other branches of government, there's no balancing of powers. He's not distant from his subjects like a human king might be. He is immediately available to all of his creation. He, he, could, he could speak to the most distant galaxy. It's all the way across the universe from us. He could command it and tell it what to do, and it's instantly going to do exactly what he wants. He could command the, the tiniest little atom uh, that's beyond our, our comprehension how small it is, and it's going to do exactly what he wants it to do. Um, we used to have this phrase when I was uh, growing up uh, doing theater as a kid, we used to have this phrase, the director is God. And uh, by that, we weren't trying to be idolatrous. I mean, some people were, but I mean, but, but by that phrase, what we meant is it doesn't matter uh, what the script says, it doesn't matter what you feel like you should do as an actor. What matters is if the director says to do it, you do it. And, and, and that's how it works in God's universe. Uh, um, Satan himself is forced to do exactly what God tells him to do. When God says, do this, that's what everything in the universe has to do. Nothing can oppose God's authority. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can water it down. Nothing can alter it. Nothing can twist it. God is an absolute dictator, and there's nothing in between him and what he wants to get done. No diminishment of his authority. Uh, it's at his command that this world and all worlds exist. It's at his command that this world continues to exist. It's at his command that events happen. Scripture in, in, a, in a couple months, Pastor Steve's going to get to Acts chapter seven or 17, where it talks about uh, even the migrations of human, hu humans from one end of the earth to the other is all ordered by God so that we could somehow seek him and find him. Uh, nations rise and fall at the command of God. Events happen at the command of God. Uh, if, if you notice in Jesus' uh, time on earth, when Jesus would heal people, most often he would issue a command out of his mouth. He would tell a demon be silenced, or be muzzled, or be gone. He would tell someone, be healed, and they would be healed. Uh, there, there's this famous example in Luke chapter 7. That's where the centurion goes to Jesus and asks him to heal his own servant. And, 
And, uh, and, and Jesus says, okay, let's go, let's do this. And the centurion says, oh, you don't even need to come with me because he, he basically says, I know how authority works. As a, as a military personnel, I know that when I tell someone to do something, then they do it. And when someone above me tells me to do something, I do it. And, and so he says to Jesus, just say the word, Jesus, and, and my servant will be healed. Guess how Jesus reacted to that? It says Jesus marveled at that expression of faith. And he says, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So I, I want us to think about that when we're thinking about this phrase in Hebrews about the throne of grace. When you and I come before this throne, we are coming before the throne from which God issues forth all these commands by which the whole universe is run. You can go with confidence, like this centurion, that if God just issues forth the command, if God just says it, his word is what's going to triumph over everything else. He's going to have the final say. But let's also meditate for a minute on this grace, this word grace, okay? Because I know some of you, and, and all of us at one time or another, it doesn't matter how much we, we trust in the, the, the authority of God's throne, many of us, we don't feel welcome to come into the throne room. We're not sure. We, we're, we're kind of uh, vacillating back and forth. Oh, can I be accepted or not? Um, I, I know I, I used to feel accepted, but now I'm not so sure, and especially after what I just did or what I neglected to do, and you're kind of shifting back and forth. Do I get to come into the throne room? Let's meditate on that word grace for a minute. That word grace, it, it, it literally comes from a Greek word for gift. It's, it's the Greek word charis, and it just means a gift. And by implication, it's a free gift. Uh, it's a gift that isn't just a, you know, the obligatory gift that you got to exchange at the holidays, even with the relatives you don't like. This is the free kind of gift that comes not because you deserve it, not because someone's returning it in kind, not because you've merited it, but simply it's a free, it's a free of charge gift. And, 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 and part of what um, th this word, when it gets used in the New Testament, part of what the people who first read the New Testament they understood and we don't understand because our cultures are so different, uh, is that in the ancient world, most countries, everything depended on the, the favor or the approval or the enjoyment of the king. So if the king liked you, if the king had favor on you, then it was all the doors were open for you to accomplish whatever you wanted to accomplish. If the king liked you, then uh, you could ask him for gifts and he would be happy to give it. Uh, if the king liked you, if you were in the king's good graces, uh, it, it was like the road was paved with gold for you. Uh, but if you weren't in the, God, in, in the king's good graces, then the doors were shut for you. And so people in the ancient world, when, when they heard this idea that the God of the universe was actually opening wide the doors for everybody... It was completely mind-blowing because they knew in the ancient world, there's just a few people who are in the good graces of the king. There's just a few people the king really likes. There's just a few people, it's a close circle of some people who 
do him special favors, people who serve him really well, they might get into that inner circle of favor uh, where they receive the grace of the king. But the New Testament has quite a different, very jarring, very alarming message that God has flung open the doors. He has chosen to pardon everybody. He's chosen to take their sin actually upon himself, absorb it into his very body so it disappears. And he said, the favor is for everybody. You all get it. Everybody gets the favor, and not just a little bit because I've only got so much to give. Everybody, I, he's opening up the spigot of his unlimited, infinite grace to everyone in the world. So, my exhortation to you this morning is to remember, come to have confidence in, that God has welcomed you into the throne room of his grace. When you enter into that throne room, he sits above all things, all the difficulties and trials in your life, all the difficulties and trials in the world, and everything he commands is what happens. And it is a throne room of grace. The door is flung wide open for every single one of us. One of the very best ways to cultivate the confidence to approach this throne is to spend time meditating on what Jesus did on the cross. You see, when Jesus died for us on the cross, he actually allowed his body to be broken for us so that the sin that was standing in the way that was preventing you from entering the throne room has been completely removed. And then he poured out his blood, sealing the covenant between humanity and God. And guess what? Jesus continues to maintain the human side of the covenant. So you might think, well, I've broken the covenant. I've broken it again and again and again. Well, Jesus is upholding the human side of the covenant. That's partly why he became a human being, to uphold the human side of the covenant. And he's upholding it continually. So even though you feel like you've broken the covenant again and again, Jesus is upholding it for us through his broken body and his spilled blood. Um, I, I want us to, uh, Josh, if you could come on up, we're going to, before we receive the elements together, we're going to prepare our hearts. We're going we're gonna to enter into this throne room of grace. We're going to meditate on the throne. We're going to meditate on the grace in that room. Want to send you out. God wants to send you out to pour out the grace that you have received. But I'm not sending you out permanently to stay out there. Come back into the throne room of grace. Come back later today. Come back later tonight. Come back tomorrow morning. 
Come back continually. Go back and forth, back and forth in the throne room, from the throne room, back into the street, back into the throne room. Go back and forth. And since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace. Let us confidently leave the throne of grace to pour out the grace we receive, and let's confidently reapproach the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace whenever we need help. Go now with the grace of our living triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Go in his power and his grace. Touch the world with his life flowing through you for his glory. Amen.